0: Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Entering into rest. You know, it's been said, everybody's so busy. I'm so busy. I got too much stuff to do. I just don't have enough time in the day to do all the stuff. We're so busy I can't get it a lick of rest because I've got so much stuff to do. I'm just constantly having to do stuff. I wonder how much that's true, by the way. If we were to step back and strip out a lot of the trivial and insignificant things, the entertainments and carnalities that attend our lives, are we really as busy as we make ourselves out to be, or do we just focus on a lot of silly things? I wonder about those who maybe attended this church a hundred years ago and other churches of, of a similar sort. They weren't thinking about like how much time they had to go to the movies and watch TV shows and do all the things of entertainment. It was more like, you know, we got to get out there and get the crops out of the field, and we're trying to survive. I suspect that if you could stand before one of those people and tell them, oh, my life is so busy, and then you compared your day planner to theirs, they would think, well, you're, you're busy because it's filled up with a bunch of stuff that ain't got anything to do with just staying alive. My day's filled up staying alive, right? I wonder how we think about all those things. This time of year always causes my mind to begin to reflect on my experience in playing baseball as a young boy. And uh, hot August days remind me of baseball practice. And I go outside now, and you're out there for more than about five minutes, and I start thinking, man, I need to get in the house. It is just brutal out here. It's like a presence the moment you walk outside. It's just so hot and miserable. Well, back in those days, I would go out, and we'd play baseball in the middle of days like this and have baseball practices. And, you know, we weren't wearing high-tech sweat-wicking fabrics and stuff like that. I'm talking about blue jeans and T-shirts, and it was just brutal. Honestly, I wonder. I marvel at how. We were able to do that, and at times it was just absolutely miserable out there. But I had a baseball coach that I loved. His name was J.D. Bryant, and we would start complaining about our situation, being out in the heat and all this stuff, and he had a colorful phrase that he would lay on us from time to time, and we would start bellyaching about all this, which I will not share with you in this assembly today. (laughs) The Bible says the preacher sought acceptable words. So I'm going to modify this and speak of it in the spirit in which it was offered rather than in the letter in which it was offered. And that sentiment was get over it. Get over it. You're not going to be out here forever. It might seem like hell. It's hot. It's uncomfortable, unpleasant, but it's not going to last for eternity. Get over it. Get the ball practice done. Go do the things you're supposed to do. And when you're done, you'll go home to an air-conditioned house, and mom will feed you something, and you'll go crawl in the bed, those nice cool sheets, enjoy a frigid flop or two. It's going to be fine. There's going to be a point of rest later in this day if you'll just get over it and accept that. There was a time of rest coming later in the day. And if we would just get over the difficulties of what we had to deal with right now, there's a sense in which you could enter into that rest right then and there, right? You could begin to accept the comfort that, well, I know, this is bad right now. Present circumstances, unpleasant. But in a few hours, I'm going to be home and fed, and it's going to be air-conditioned, and it's going to be restful. I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to be so tired, it's just going to be wonderful. And I'll be in that place... And somehow you could enter into the comfort of that in that moment. You could say, yeah, I know. I just got to push through. I just got to push through. But you know what? You've got to believe that promised rest if it's going to provide any comfort for you in that moment. Do you not? If you didn't believe that you had a place to go, if you didn't believe your air conditioner was working, if you didn't believe mama was cooking dinner, if you didn't believe you had a bed to sleep in and a safe place to be overnight, If you don't believe that declaration that there's going to be a time of rest after this, it's not going to provide any comfort because you just don't believe it. In Numbers chapter 13, we see this situation that Israel finds itself in. Verse 25, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Now, this is the situation where they had spied out the land of Israel. Go in there, check it out. See what it's like. Bring us back a report of the situation there. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Now that's a good news report. Those are glad tidings. The Lord has said this is a land of milk and honey. We've brought back evidence of it. Here's the fruit of it right here. This is the fruit and the proof that what God said about this land is certainly true. Now God had promised to give them this land. He promised to give it to them. He told them it was full of milk and honey and they've come back and they've now verified it. That should be the end of the matter. But they, like us, often find themselves staggering in unbelief over the promises of God. Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Well, by the way, if God has promised to give you this land, what does any of that matter? Right? It only matters to the carnal eye of man. and it only appeals to the carnal mind that says, well, I don't really believe God can deliver me over such a great and mighty people. Now, these are a people who had seen God's deliverance at the Red Sea. They had seen themselves delivered from the greatest nation in the world under miraculous circumstances and many signs and wonders. It's not as though they had no evidence They had all the evidences in the world and they should have said, this is going to be fantastic. Because we know the Lord has promised it. And look at how great these people are. Seemingly great by the carnal eye. And yet, I'm not sure we can beat these people. Look at how great they are. Staggering in unbelief. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now that is a statement of faith. That's someone who's saying, God has promised it. He's delivered us before. We've got plenty of evidence here. There's absolutely no reason that anything that we observe there should be an impediment to us. We should not stagger in unbelief. We should enter into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, and enter into that rest because the Lord has promised it to us. By the way, Christian people, we tend to think of ourselves as the Caleb and the Joshua in this situation. We tend to think of ourselves, well, if I'd have been there, it would have been Caleb and Joshua and Dan. I wonder. I doubt it. How about that? I doubt it. We stagger in unbelief so often. Verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Probably one of the clearest situations in the Bible that makes the distinction between viewing things by faith versus viewing things through the carnal eye. We all have a way of looking at this world and kind of figuring how it's going to work out. And, you know, there's so many people there, there's no way we're going to be able to win. But God had given these people a promise. And they are left in a position where they stagger in unbelief. And as a result of staggering in unbelief, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Those who staggered in unbelief never entered into that rest. Caleb and Joshua, as it was mentioned before, were the only ones who crossed. And it was 40 years later. But here you have a clear example. Here is set before you the the promised land and a promise of God that says you're going to inhabit it, you're going to enter into the rest of the promised land that I'm going to give to you. And people say, I don't believe it. Staggering in unbelief. Now, the broader world of Christianity often kind of gets into this thing of saying, well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take people who aren't Christians and get them to believe so that they can get eternally saved And then that's kind of what the belief and unbelief situation is. Well, those who are not born of the Spirit of God do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and faith is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have faith, you're not going to believe any of this stuff. There's people on this earth that don't have faith, and they're not going to believe anything. They don't have the ability to receive it. Okay? Paul taught all men have not faith. That's a harsh reality, but that's what the Bible teaches I, however, am talking about God's people. I'm talking about people born of the Spirit of God who have faith, who said, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I believe He died for my sins at Calvary, and that is my salvation. Those people have faith. But did you know that those people who have faith can stagger in unbelief? Now that seems kind of contrary. You think, well, surely God's people, they have faith. They always believe, but they don't. If you're one of those people who would say, yes, I believe. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe He is the Son of God. That's great. It's evidence that you have faith. It's evidence that you're one of God's children. But now are you going to take that to the level of saying, so therefore I always exercise faith and act in a way that is consistent with my faith? The fact of remaining sin makes it absolutely indefensible. There's no way that anyone could stand up and say, I have faith and I always and consistently exercise it towards God. None of us do that. So this opens the uncomfortable possibility that there are people born of the Spirit who have faith, who are God's children, who nevertheless stagger in unbelief And fail to enter into the rest that is available to them. That's what happened to these Israelites. Brother Sonny pointed out Moses was not even allowed to go into the promised land. And that that doesn't mean Moses went to hell, right? We're not talking about in this matter of rest, we're not talking about someone's eternal state. We're talking about whether or not they have the peace and comfort and rest that attends a proper understanding of the gospel in the here and now and entry into the kingdom of God in the Lord's New Testament church. Now, get over it. Unbelief is very often the matter that God's people must get over. Don't be fooled into thinking, I'm a Christian, I believe these things, I was baptized, I did this or that, therefore I'm not an unbeliever. I suspect that if the Lord took the scales off of our eyes and really examined our lives in many respects, it would reveal many instances of unbelief. Paul said the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. This example of Israel is written to teach us something about our own struggle with unbelief. But the gospel declares to us, you need to get over it. You need to get over this matter of unbelief. If you think I'm picking on you, I'm, this, this applies to me just as much as it applies to anybody. I mean, it's just the issue that we deal with in this lifetime. We're going to have to get over it if we're going to enter into rest. In Matthew chapter 11, the Lord says something about this rest, and I want to spend a little bit of time looking at it. You're all familiar with the fact that Jesus Christ declared on the cross, it is finished. To die. it is a finished work. Do you believe it, or are you staggering in unbelief? Many today will find themselves saying, well, it, it, honestly, it was not really finished. It was started. It was not finished, it was started. Perhaps the Lord misspoke. It's a finished work of salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished, and He didn't need any of your help on the matter. Neither did He need your ratification of it to make it effectual. The blood of Jesus Christ accomplished the salvation of his people. And that's all there is to it. Now, the gospel declares that to a people, and those who believe it, you can affirm hey, you believe the gospel? You're one of God's children because you could not receive that if you didn't have faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. You have faith, which was the mailbox. That the gospel was delivered into and allowed you to receive it. So many take this into a place where you're talking about believing and not believing, and is this a matter that determines heaven or hell? Things are true irrespective of whether or not you believe them to be true. Your parents are your parents. You might not have realized that, really, and what all that means until you were one or two years old. Didn't mean they weren't your parents. And you're believing it only brought you into the comfort and rest and understanding that attended the reality that pre-existed your understanding of it. See that? Works the same way with the gospel. Jesus Christ actually accomplished something at Calvary. And that's what the gospel declares. There's a finished work that's declared there, and it saved His people from their sins. Amen. Now how you react to that does not determine where you spend eternity, but it can identify those who have faith and those who are born of the Spirit and thus of His people. But Jesus Christ makes a statement here in Matthew 11. I'll start in verse 25. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now wait a minute. I thought... This was just a message and everybody has to have it revealed to them. Jesus Christ is thanking His Father that this truth is actually hidden from some people. Now that is an astonishingly upsetting observation from Scripture for a lot of people. But God is in control of this matter of eternal salvation and that's how it is. Jesus Christ thanked His Father for this arrangement. He didn't say, that doesn't sound fair to me, Father. Why are you hiding it? That's just not fair. There's a lot of Christians that say that. Not what Jesus said. Some people will make the point here, well, brother, this is in the red letters. Something Jesus said. You know what the problem is with a red letter Bible? The problem with a red letter Bible is that it's got black letters in it. Think about that. I'm not giving you a hard time if you've got a red-letter Bible. I think we have some in my own family. I've often referred to them as commentaries (laughs) rather than Bibles. And I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek in in that. But there is a subtle thing that creeps up when you get into red-letter Bibles. And I've encountered a lot of Christians who say, well, we really need to look at, is that in the red letters? The implication there is that Jesus may have said something over here, and Paul said something over here in the black letters, And, you know, Paul might have been wrong. But Jesus wasn't wrong. There's a subtle implication in that. If we're going to have a red letter Bible and be doctrinally correct about it, the whole thing should be read because it's all inspired of God and Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. But this is Jesus Christ thanking His Father that these things are hidden from some people. And they're hidden from the wise and prudent. Now look, We are assaulted regularly. Christian people are assaulted by the wise and prudent. The world of academia and science and all these things is constantly going after the Christian faith. I'm telling you, it was God's plan to hide this from many of the wise and prudent and to reveal it unto babes. Jesus Christ thanked his Father for it, so that's something to think about. By the way, if you've received any of this and you've believed it, You're one of those babes, right? You've had the humility born of regeneration to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't make it right. And the idea of Jesus Christ as a Savior sounds exceedingly wonderful to me. You've got to have that humility born of the Spirit in order to receive this truth. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. Well, it wouldn't be right if God hid these things from some people and revealed them to others. That just wouldn't be fair. It's God's world, God's rules, and this is how it is. And Jesus Christ is thanking Him for it, and it seemed good in His sight. Verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Now who's in the driver's seat on this matter of eternal salvation and the revelation of Christ to people? It's God. It's not just out there as an idea, and then people are going to accept or reject it based on their free will. There's a whole lot of free will religion preached out there. This is He will religion. This is God is in control, and He's the determiner of these things. And Jesus Christ is not ashamed of this idea. This is a clear statement of the sovereignty of God in the eternal salvation of His people. But now He issues an invitation. Verse 28 Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. I grant you that's an invitation, but it's also addressed. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And are heavy laden. Who are these people? The laboring and heavy laden. Is it anybody who has a job? Well, I carry those sacks of feed down there at Tractor Supply Company. I've got a job, and I'm laboring and heavy laden 40 hours a week. I guess he's talking to me. I've got a job as a certified public accountant, and I'm I'm going over the numbers. I'm a doctor, and I'm working on patients. I'm laboring and heavy laden. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are laboring and heavy laden under the conviction and realization that God is holy and they are not. That they stand in need of a Savior. Now in this context, many of the people he's talking to, you're talking about in the kind of the domain of the Jewish religion. Judaism, as it was at that time, had morphed into a works-based salvation scheme. Keep the law, find approval with God, eternal salvation is there. This is a very common notion. And if you're in a religion that's constantly teaching you, you've got to toe the line on this. If if you're not keeping the law 100%, you're going to split hell wide open. And you believe that false declaration, you're going to be laboring and heavy laden under that notion. Because if you've got any sense, you're going to realize... I'm not able to toe the line on this deal. This is a terrible arrangement for me because I know how sinful I am. And I know how much I struggle. And even on my best day, I'm having a lot of trouble with this matter. That's going to put you in despair and make you think, well, how am I ever going to get to heaven? I'm laboring and heavy laden in this matter of my eternal salvation because I know I can't get it done. That would be a troubling situation. By the way, a lot of God's children end up in that place. You see, if you're born of the Spirit of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you perfectly understand salvation by the grace of God. It doesn't really mean that. You learn that instruction in the Lord's New Testament church. But when you're born of the Spirit of God, you do become aware of things like, I'm a sinner. God is holy. This is not a good arrangement. And so a lot of people get drawn into works-based religion because... In that state of being unsettled about the matter, if someone comes to you and says, well, if you'll just do these six things and then keep doing these four things, then you'll have the matter settled with God. And many people get sucked up into that because they do have a desire to want to be pleasing to God. And that's admirable. And by the way, many of those things that are suggested that you do in bad forms of religion are good things to do You're just being taught the wrong purpose for doing them. You see what I'm saying? Like there's some people who say, well, you need to be baptized to get eternally saved. Well, that's not true. Lots of people in the Bible weren't baptized and are eternally saved. However, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be baptized if you believe the truth, right? Baptism has a purpose. It's the way you join the Lord's New Testament church. It's not how you get into heaven. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's your statement that I believe Jesus Christ rose out of the grave. It's an affirmation of gospel truth, and it places you within the visible kingdom of God here. It doesn't deliver your soul to eternal heaven. The laboring and heavy laden are those who are born of the Spirit of God and who are laboring under the false notion that there's a bunch of stuff they've got to do. You know why? Because they don't really believe it's a finished work. It's a started work, and there's a bunch of other stuff I got to do. And as I'm looking at what I'm doing, it ain't really adding up too good. So now I'm heavy laden by this. And what is the offer that the Lord extends here? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you eternal salvation. Let me tell you something. If you're laboring and heavy laden in the way the Lord has in mind here, you're already in a state of eternal salvation. Because otherwise, you would think all of this was nonsense. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That's the unregenerate man. Psalm ten four. There's no thought of God there. There's no oh, I'm I might split hell wide open. They don't care. But someone who has this sensitivity is already in a state where they realize God is holy and I'm a sinner. And there's something they can enter into and it's not their eternal salvation because they're already born of the Spirit, else they wouldn't believe this in the first place. But now Jesus Christ is offering up rest. That's what the gospel provides is rest. Why does it provide rest? Because it's a finished work. The work of salvation is done. It's a finished work. And Jesus Christ is offering up here, if you'll come unto Christ and listen to what He taught here about what He actually accomplished at Calvary, you're going to be able to rest in the notion of where you're going to spend eternity. Now you should continue to try to do the things you ought to do in life, to live in a righteous fashion and uh, serve in the Lord's New Testament church and all those sorts of things. All those things are good things to do. They just don't determine where you're going to spend eternity. Christ is offering up rest. And it's gospel rest. It's the rest of knowing it is a finished work. And there's nothing else to be done in the matter of eternal salvation. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute. Rest? And now you're talking about putting a yoke on me. Well now we're talking about something different. You rest because the work of eternal salvation has been accomplished by Christ. But there is a work you do in service to God in the Lord's New Testament church. As a disciple, you do enter into labor. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That's where you find it. By becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, I don't even know how that... A yoke, that sounds like you're going to be carrying something heavy. Well... I've had a lot of jobs over the course of my adult life, and they have ranged from very unpleasant to, at times, delightful. I know a lot of you have had jobs, and you probably can go back over your employment history, and you can remember, man, there was a time I had this job, or I had this thing I was doing, some work I was doing, maybe it was work on your farm, or... Uh, out in the garage, something you enjoyed doing, and you worked all day on it. And at the end of it, you just thought, man, that was just great. I really enjoyed working on that. It was wonderful. Now, that doesn't always work out in your professional life. Sometimes you end up in a place where you're working, and you don't like the people you work with, and the job is not good, and it's miserable, and it feels like it's a heavy burden and all that. But if you've ever had that experience of, I went and did a bunch of labor, I went and worked in my garden, or I was trying to fix a lawnmower or a tractor, or I went and helped a buddy do something, and we worked really hard, but at the end of it, it just felt really good. That's the way service and work in the Lord's kingdom is. Yeah, there's a work to be done there. But when it's done properly and in the right spirit, you look back and you say, you know what, it was not a heavy burden for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it, and it it was delightful. It didn't feel like work. Well, going back to Joshua, if we look at Joshua chapter 3, we find a little bit better testimony here. Joshua chapter 3, this is after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. Now they're coming back. Forty years later, wandering in the wilderness, which, by the way, was totally unnecessary. <laughs> you think about that? How much did they go through in 40 years in the wilderness when they really could have just stepped over by faith 40 years ago? How much could they have avoided had they not staggered in unbelief in the matter? Well, I won't read all of this, but you skip down to verse 17. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. God's people eventually got it together and crossed the Jordan. They struggled with unbelief at other times. And if you continue reading through the book of Joshua, you'll find those instances. And we're all going to have some struggles with unbelief. But you know what? They got over it. And oftentimes with God's people, the biggest issue we got to deal with is just get over it. Get over the issue of our own unbelief and avoidance of doing the things that we ought to do. That rest that was talked about is really spoken of in Romans chapter 12, and perhaps we'll close here. When you enter into the rest that Jesus Christ has got the job done, there's kind of a question that comes up. You're resting in the reality of your eternal salvation and the joy of it and the knowledge that no one can take it out of the Lord's hand and it, it, you're going to be in heaven someday. That's all wonderful. But you might say, well, now what? I've got to get through this life. Jesus Christ promised rest to these people, and that's rest in the spiritual sense of understanding your eternal salvation. He did not say, you're not going to have any trouble, you're not going to have problems with money. You're not going to have problems with your kids acting crazy. You're not going to have problems in your marriage. You're not going to have problems with your job situation. You're not going to have problems with your national and political situation. He didn't say any of that stuff. All that stuff is around us, and it's all things that everyone has to deal with. We each have it in different portions, hither and yon. But everyone's got these issues that they've got to work through. It astonishes me how many people are out there preaching this kind of prosperity gospel that if you'll just follow God and become a disciple in some particular sect that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise when that's evidently not true. In this world you shall have tribulation. But Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And if you come to this place where you've entered into the gospel rest of realizing the work of eternal salvation is done. It's over. I'm resting in that. I'm going to live in glory with Christ, not based on how good I am, but how good He is. And in the promises of God, then you're in this place. And this is where you take up the yoke. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, when you realize Jesus Christ has eternally saved me, it is only reasonable that you then in thanksgiving enter into this service of God. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's where we find it, and that's where our labors are. Our labors in this world are not to get to heaven. That's a fool's errand. You could never do it. Isaiah said all our righteousnesses are just as filthy rags. We could never build a work of eternal salvation. That's what Christ has done. But there is laid before us an opportunity to join the Lord's New Testament church. I offer that up for you today. For any who would like to join by letter or baptism, thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons, preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.